This episode is brought to you in part by TSMA Consulting, the entertainment industry's leading social media firm. You've heard on the podcast from the top people in entertainment how vital a well-curated social media presence can be for your career. Dropping Character is proud to be partnering with TSMA Consulting, a globally recognized social media firm that can help you make sure your social media represents the quality of your work. I've worked with them personally, and man, did I learn a lot. If you do sign up, make sure you tell them Robbie sent you. All right, let's get on with the show. This is Robbie Ramos, and you're listening to Dropping Character. Man, I don't drop character till I've done the DVD commentary. I was having a spontaneous dinner with Michael Malley in the West Village. I'm going to say this is two years ago, maybe. And Mike and I are old friends, old colleagues, done a lot of work together. I did, I think the first thing we did together was I read one of his plays in like 1998. Oh, shit. Maybe, maybe earlier. And he was a big deal. Like oh, Michael, yeah. Michael Miley's always been a big deal. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> no, I didn't he, know that. He, he's though. he's a he's a big deal now, and he's always been a big deal. Like his his vibe and his energy and his heart, yeah, um, have always been on his sleeve. And it's just it's a big noise, you know. <laughs> and and the talent it's always come from his talent. Like his personality, I've always thought has sprung from his talent. He's just unbelievably gifted yeah and um so we have this past and he was in town we had dinner long bullshitty dinner um and i was shooting the deuce for hbo Mm -hmm. that's why i was in in in, uh in new york and kind of offhandedly i said so what are you doing next he's like uh i don't know i got a couple of pitches sold this and there's this script that I'm supposed to look at. Um, I said, what's it called? He said, heels. And I said, wheels? And he <laughs> said, no, heels. Oh, heels. Like, what's it about? Is it about like the shoe industry? And um, he's like, no, wrestling. And I was like, get your ass back in the chair. We're not leaving this. <laughs> this right. meal is not over. Because I mean, I'm going to call myself a wrestling enthusiast. Oh, I didn't know that, dude. Yeah. Um, because a, a true wrestling fan is, is, you know, of that layer of like, you know, a comic book fan, like, like they're so immersed and so appreciative. My son is like this. He can tell you any move of any wrestler. He can tell you whole careers. He can watch a match and then recite 20 minutes, spot after spot after spot Damn. of what people did. I just sit there and have my mind blown like an idiot. <laughs> like I'm so entertained and intrigued and impressed by it that, uh, you know, I can only be that kind of fan. And I've, and I've gone to a lot, I've seen a lot of independent wrestling, um, over the years. So 
uh, and gotten to know some wrestlers. So when he said he's, it was a script about wrestling, I was like, I kind of know a little bit about what that world is like. Mm-hmm. And it's right up your alley and you should take a really good, serious look at that script. And he said, um, there's a part in there that you would just kill. And I said, yeah, you could kind of say that about every script, but I'll, uh, I'll <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but I was like, well, if it's about wrestling and I said, send it to me, send it. And these were, um, um, so early on he couldn't send it, but that just started the conversation. Yeah. And it was kind of like saying, it's like if you and I said, wouldn't it be great to like spend the weekend and crank out a script and shoot a short and then sell it and then get rich. It's like, it was a pipe dream Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. I would have any, that this show would even become a show or that I would have anything to do with it. Total pipe dream. But that's when I first heard about it. Holy shit. And then when, when do they approach you about playing wild bill? Well, as Mike, I think dug deeper and deeper into the world and found things about it that he was compelled by and that he could explore and that tapped into his Jones as an author. I mean, he loves the map of the heart. He loves relationships. He loves fatal flaws. Um, He loves competition. And he has an amazing... I think investment in trying to understand how people do better, how people become better versions of themselves. And, um, there was a lot of fertile potential for that in this world. And I think he, um, you know, Michael Waldron is the brain from which this sprang and he has all the DNA of that in there already. And I think Mike just found ways to kind of expand on the elemental similarities between what goes on in a ring in a fictional context and what goes on at a kitchen table in real life. Um, And as that, I think, started to appeal to Mike more, we'd have the occasional conversation about the world of it. Um, I could feel, I could hear him getting more and more excited Mm -hmm. and I never, you know, I, you and I've gotten to know each other a little bit. I think you would, uh, not be surprised to hear that. I don't have a lot of expectations when it comes to, um, let's see, period. Really? Just like, you know, being a few decades into a career and and repeatedly kind of seeing the near miss between what might happen and what does happen. And I just kind of let go of the wheel of all that, you know. So did, I, did my brain start cranking away thinking, oh, my God, could I actually have the opportunity to play one of these people? who I've been so fascinated by now for a while and who I admire and respect so much. Yeah, I started thinking that. But then, 
the par- the other half of the paradox is like, but let that thought go, let that reality go, because um, it will be if it's meant to be. And but I never think shit's gonna pan out. <laughs> I mean, they say I, you know, they say action. I'm like, I, I hope I know what to say. I hope this scene goes right. Like I have shrunk my lens so small into this sort of idiotic neutral state that I just don't have a very accurate way to report anything, the past, (laughs) what it's like, you know what I mean? That's the cost. Yeah, dude. Wow. That's just the cost. So, um, but you know, to stay on track, Wait, 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 because that's fascinating, though. When you say that's the cost, is that the cost? You mean that that's the cost of you being in a creative state enough to really be alive and and, and open to whatever the fuck comes? You got to be this innocent almost, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, you know, it's an extreme sort of... Um, goal or it's an extreme point of orientation, but I have to, at some level, consider as a meditation, it's going to sound sort of uh, pretentious, but I mean it like nuts and bolts. There is no me. There just is no capital M me. And the more I invest in that, concept the less reactive i am to things that are likely to distract me from the nugget of the moment like my ego my fear my vanity my jealousy my envy um my sense of competition all these things are you know very human and very familiar aspects of my experience but none of them in my career have helped me do better work Mm. and the one thing because i've always felt you know i think a lot of us feel this way but i've always felt like everybody has something i don't like (laughs) you know that person is smarter that person has more game that's now that's charisma right over there. <laughs> that person's amazing looking. And I've always felt like I'm real under, um, I'm just sort of undermanned in all those categories. <laughs> but I can act. Don't ask me to explain what acting is, but I can do it. And... um in order to keep growing in that way, I've had to pay attention to a part of myself that isn't really relevant to a career. You know what I mean? Like the part of myself that's like really not that entertaining maybe, or not that um, sort of responsive to status or getting attention but the part of myself that's like, I can make art. I can make people that don't exist. I can make them, you know? And um, 
so that there is no me thing is a exercise to just keep removing the shit that's in the way. Yeah. Like just keep cleaning out that chamber so that whatever comes through comes through, um, without interference, you know? Um, so now see that, that you're talking about fucking excites me, right? Because (laughs) there, you know, you like, I think you, you probably had moments like that when you were younger, but now you're trying to really consciously create those moments, right? By, by doing exactly what you're saying. But when, cause this is the thing about when I hear that from you, okay? What I hear because I'm at a I'm I'm at the, I'm like I I just started this shit, right? Mm-hmm. I mean career, right? I don't mean acting, I mean career, right? My thing is I'm fucking constantly afraid of being fired, dude. For real? <laughs> well, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm fucking one fucked up day at work away from being just completely fired and then it's all over for me like that's in your head oh that's in my fucking head right now that has only come about when i stepped into tv and on camera work when i was in theater Mm -hmm. and that's why i'm I'm like trying to get to that which is i was free dude i felt free Mm -hmm. now there's a week before opening night where that fear seeps in right Mm -hmm. you're like dude what the fuck? I don't know what I'm doing. I just did a lousy ass fucking preview or whatever. The director came up to me. He's like, dude, I don't know what the fuck you're doing. <laughs> right? We're, everyone's kind of like in fucking panic mode. That's how I feel constantly, dude. Now working on film. Really? Yeah, man. And well, and and that's just fear. It's fear, right? <laughs> so that's why I say when when you say that you're fucking able to put all that shit away so that you can actually be present and and do your best work it excites me but at the same time i'm uh and i don't know if it's ego i don't know for sure it is and all of those things that you mentioned but i i don't know i haven't allowed myself to do that yet yeah well it takes time it took me forever bro right i mean like right first of all i thought if i turned 50 and I had been hired once to be an understudy for a production of Death of a Salesman. Yeah. And I would have, you, that to me, that would have been making it. Like, yeah. I did not have huge expectations. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, part of the reason I wanted to train, and we can get into that later maybe, but part of the reason, I remember vividly in the late 80s, the reason I wanted to train somewhere legit was because I fully expected to never work, but I could walk the earth with the feeling that I knew what I was doing when it came to acting, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I first started to work on camera, I was uh, terrified, terrified because it triggers a different um, set of perceptions. It triggers a different potential experience of yourself um, that is amplified just from the technical realities of it. Yeah. Um, Then it's amplified because if you're like me, 
you started watching TV when you were like five. Right. You started watching movies when you were probably five. So like the, the effect of, of this medium on you, the narratives that have just washed over you like a thousand waves mm-hmm. seep into your consciousness. And there's a whole iconographic world that you've built of what you think television is, of what you think movies are, what you think, you know, who gets to do that? Who doesn't get to do that? And you can get lost in there, you know? Um, but that's just kind of being a human being. I think what people um, can be taken by surprise um, by is that working on television or film is such, you know, you're navigating this technical labyrinth of, you know, it's the architecture of industry, really. It's steel and lights and heat and people and motion and shadows and sounds like back in, I mean, I miss this a lot, but like I'm old enough (laughs) and I got, you know, I got, uh, I got to take some swings early enough that I remember what it sounded like, what it sounded like shooting on film and you could feel, you know, the mechanics of the camera. Um, and I, I think it can be especially tricky if you're really good and if you're really sensitive and if you're really perceptive because your senses are forced into this kind of prismatic relationship with stuff and then somehow in the middle of that you got to play a character and know your lines and they also to back to what you said you know when we first started talking nobody tells you the criteria for success and the default place we go to is well if somebody comes up to me and pats me on the back and tells me that was really good then I succeeded. If nobody does that, I failed. <laughs> and it's a, it's a, it's not that kind of world, man. Yeah. It's, it's like yeah. as a professional, it'd be great if you could get this done quickly and efficiently. The biggest act of service you could, you could do is nail this thing so we can move on to the next. Right. We got a day to get it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it takes forever to suss that out. Why does nobody explain that? No, nobody. You know, when you're the new person, why do you, I mean, I think it's a lot better now, but like back in the day, if you were like the new guy, you felt like you were going to get attacked. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't feel like people were going to say, come sit down in the corner. I'm going to explain to you how to hit a mark or, you know, you don't have to be that big. Yeah. This lens is right up close to you. You can really just almost think this line. Right. More than, you know, say it. And and that sucks because, like, you could relieve people. I try to relieve people as much as possible mm-hmm. with, with that shit because I think that's, that's what our actual obligation is to each other. Yeah. Our, you know? Yeah, and I will say Mike, Mike and, and Pete, both of them are fucking great about that. And then Mike particularly, because he, well, you, well, I don't know if we said it on the pod, but we, he was an actor, uh, just an actor at first, right? Yeah. So he knows the insecurities and all the shit that's going on in your fucking head. 
And Mike is great at kind of disarming that. Oh, my God. And he loves human beings. Mm. I mean, that's a guy who there's as a showrunner, as a boss, he's unparalleled in, in, in general for me, but like in that department, investing in the well-being of, you know, his team amazing is incredible. And it takes a lot of energy and that's his choice. He doesn't have to do that. Yeah, he could right. be a dick. He could, dude. You know, <laughs> yeah, plenty know. of others have several Emmys. I know. <laughs> I know, man. Um, and I love that. And I, what I see is people, I believe in it because what I see is people reciprocating that energy in their work. Yeah. So it's like a no brainer. Right. And while Bill, we got sidetracked a little bit. While Bill, so tell me, you know, you said you, you were a fan of wrestling. Is there like a specific wrestler or wrestlers that you had in mind building them? I would say with, you know, Wild Bill is a sort of original in that he's a collage of traits that I think you might find uh, in wrestlers of a certain era. Um, and he's, I found that out pretty quickly that it's like, I, this is not going to be a sort of tribute to one particular wrestler. Yeah. Like this is a guy who's outrageous enough to deserve his own space, you know? Um, but he kind of has the tenacity. I'll tell you what, what, you know, the little bits and pieces that inspired me, Terry Funk, his work ethic, his, his promo energy, his crowd awareness, intelligence, you know, physical IQ, commitment, um, the regional sort of tempo of him, um, that, uh, that's been the biggest through line, mm -hmm. but then there's, um, <laughs> the kind of spontaneity and the, the idiosyncrasy, um, of Macho Man, <laughs> um, yeah. and, uh, some of the gab of Ric Flair, mm -hmm. some of the hard living of Jake the Snake. Yeah. And then, you know, um, just, you know, I'm like, uh, like a whale swimming through the ocean with a 15 foot wide mouth, but teeth so small that I'll pick up the littlest plankton if that's what I need, you know, to live. Yeah. And so I don't think there's a, a frame of wrestling um, that I've watched that doesn't at some level apply mm -hmm. and doesn't at some, I mean, I remember seeing Sammy Callahan and Drake Younger um, at a hardcore match in Reseda with PWG. This is probably 2012 or so. And, you know, these guys were indie wrestlers. I was about as far away from them as I am from you right now. I was with my son. They put on the best show I've ever seen in my life. Really? And that includes, you know, Vanessa Redgrave in uh, in uh, 
Orpheus descending wow. on Broadway. It wow. includes, <laughs> yeah. you know, some of the people that I've worked with from two feet away. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen performance and commitment and kind of open hearted. Also sort of the, the, the face heel balance was just incredible. Yeah. Um, and I think of them. I think of them every time I do a scene because there's, it's the like do it or die factor. Full commitment. Full commitment. And, and, and just like, you know, I'm an, I'm so, because I'm an actor, it's like I still have this nagging intellectual need to understand context. And what I find so often in these amazing wrestlers is that here's the context. I'm going to blow your fucking mind. Mm-hmm. That's it. You know, and, and like, it's so simple and so noble to me in a way. Um, and, you know, when it comes time to do press and promote the show and things like that, I'm a little nervous about it because it's almost like Wild Bill to me is a tribute to wrestling more than a particular wrestle, wrestler. It's like his, you know, so there's a selflessness to him, which is probably going to sound like a completely preposterous take. No, no, yeah. Considering all he ever does is talk about how amazing he is. He's got, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. Face value. You're like, he's such a selfish dude. He will he- not cross your path without trying to change your life. And it's like, there's an amazing there's an exaggerated blown up version of the generosity of performance and entertainment in that when one takes their entire life and turns it into a performance, Mm -hmm. you know, and obviously the sacrifice is, is severe. Yeah. You know, um, which is true in wrestling as, as much as it's true in this show. And I, that's something else that I just have a lot of respect for. I mean, what do you connect with while Bill, on a personal level with? Well, it's a tricky question right now because we got a week to go and I have not allowed myself mm. a point of view on my character at all. Um, but I can tell you that he's a survivor, um, meaning, y- you know, He's he's somebody who learned how to take a punch before he learned how to throw a punch. And there's a wisdom and a a value in that to me that I relate to with him. It's like, try to knock me over. And, you know, maybe you can. But you can't keep me down. I'm the only one who can keep myself down. And I haven't decided to do that yet. You know? Mm-hmm. I relate to that a lot. Yeah. But but you probably had, more. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I went to see you in a scene that you did with Mary. And um, I went specifically because you and Mary are obviously amazing. Right. But also because I, I felt that it was going to show it, it, it was going to be a different side of Wild Bill 
and of Mary's character, Willie, that we hadn't seen. And it's that scene where you guys have that confrontation. We're not going to, you know, we don't oh. want to divulge the whole thing, but you guys have that in, 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 at the dome, mm-hmm. outside the dome. Mm-hmm. I didn't know you were there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was hanging with uh, Pete. Creeping. Creeping. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I'm trying to soak everything in, man, you know? And and, and you, you, something you said about act about the surroundings, right? Something for me that's very important is that. So I want to be as much in the fucking machine as I can so that those sounds, those all those senses, I become familiar with, them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, On right. stage, I feel that. Right. I'm like, I know this fucking place. Right. I know that sound. I know the lights. You, you said the lights. Mm-hmm. Um. So that, that yeah. So just being there and fucking, and then also seeing people who have been fucking doing it for years, how they maneuver within that machine is interesting. Because, you know, you have places where you go mm-hmm. or you know, like, dude, I need to go. Mm-hmm. Which is a question I wanted to ask you too. When you have a, a very, uh, let's say, uh, a very dramatic scene like that one where you know it's going to get emotional. Is there something you do before that to prep yourself or are you also just there open? There used to, you know, back in the day, I, I would probably spend a, you know, that whole day leading up to that thinking about really sad shit. <laughs> Or Listening about to fuck. <laughs> my first girlfriend, Amy, and she wanted to break up with me and I didn't want to break up with her and I didn't understand what the fucking problem was. And, <laughs> right, right. you know, um, and I think one of the benefits of getting a little older and also having my own kids and frankly, I mean, I think that by the time we finish this season, I'll probably be up around the 300 episode mark of tv you know what i mean yeah it's just a lot of hours right all over the place in these different circumstances trying to do this one thing just play the part i'm playing right i've come to realize that it's all on the page like i know when i've put in enough time with the scene that when they point a camera at me, they're not going to be filming somebody wondering what he's supposed to say next or wondering, you know, it's like, that's the work. (laughs) And it's so obvious, but like you got to sit your ass in a chair and spend as much time as you need with that scene to know exactly what it's about, exactly why you're there, exactly what you're trying to get from that other character. And I respect writers. So for me, exactly what words have been chosen for me to do that so that by the time it comes to do the scene, None of my energy is wasted on ambiguities or unknowns or I don't have the chance to become self-aware because I'm not quite sure what the next line is. Rule all that shit out. You know? How? It's putting in the time. Is yeah. that you're saying? Like, how do you rule that out? Yeah. How? how I mean, like, because... 
Okay, there's the memorizing, right? Mm -hmm. But then there's the knowing. The knowing. You got to go to the knowing level. It's got to yeah. be subcutaneous. The goal is uh, they want me at set at five o'clock at five o one. If the director says, "I want you to do the scene like you're pissed," I want you to do the scene with an Australian accent. I want you to do the scene like a ghost haunting somebody. I want you to just think the scene and see it in your body. <laughs> that you can go yeah. boom, 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 boom. And at the, it's so crazy. Like, I do not like talking about this shit very much mm -hmm. because it 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 actually invokes the state of being that I live mostly in defense of. But very few people do the level of work that's required to avail themselves of the grace in this, of the mystical aspect of this work. There is a place you can get to where the there is no me factor kicks in. You disappear, this character takes over, it makes your choices for you. And because you've spent so much time with the scene, you don't intrude on it to the degree where something's too big when it needs to be small. And you're, you're able to pick through these infinite choices and express one beat at a time the way a human being would what you're trying to get from that character. And that scene you're talking about in particular, I, hadn't, I forgot it. I haven't thought about it much. I find with this character, I shoot a scene over. But that had a lot of different versions take to take. I remember. Yeah, like, I did. Yeah. There were different approaches that Mike that Wild Bill was taking to express himself, but they were always his best effort to tell her the truth. Yeah. You know. So it's like you sit there with the script. Text analysis is this is a, is an interesting paradox for me. Mm -hmm. Part of me reads a scene the first time and goes, I know exactly how to play that scene. Mm -hmm. you know that vibe mm -hmm. it just leaps off and you're like i know what that looks like i yeah. know what the tempo is yes and then the other half is but i can't do what i just psychically saw mm -hmm. until i basically roll up my sleeves get the shovel dig through every layer identify what the different rocks are and know this hole and do the work as long as it takes. Something clicks when you know you've done it enough. And I mean, that's the, that's the refined work that we do. Because if you do too much, then you show up stiff and tense with expectations. Which we've talked about, right? Okay, so as I'm listening to what you're saying, and I know there's a lot of like... Uh, um, like a paradox between things and shit, but because in one in one hand you're saying, remove yourself of all fear, ego, everything you planned, all this shit, and then on this other hand you're saying, fucking prepare, dude, yeah, and know it so that you can do it in five thousand different ways. When because in acting school they teach you certain techniques. When you say prepare, when you say do the work, you literally mean what? I would say we're getting into notes and bolts and and you're saying a little bit of the, your, your magician shit here. You're, you're saying your tricks, but I, I just, as the nuts a, and know. bolts stuff. Yeah. Ice cold with the words 
Okay. Not like, you know, the line is hand me that stapler for me. Yeah. I'm going to say, hand me that stapler. If the director says, loosen up a little, I'm going to say, Hey, give me that stapler. But not until he says that or the writer says that because I don't want any unknowns. I want to be able to go. Also, you know, I sort of my way through through television was John Wells was the writer who hired me to be my first series regular. Then it was David Simon. Meanwhile, I was doing theater with David Mamet. Crazy. Then it was um, Alan Ball. Yeah. And these are right. Then, you know, Michael Malley. These are authors who want you to say what they wrote. Mm -hmm. Unless they see something about your performance. I've seen it happen when they're like, go ahead, have some fun. Mm. Mike's very, very generous with me. You know, I always check with him and we have a, um, we have a mutual, I mean, I respect him enough that I'm not going to go, Hey, I'm just going to try it this way, but I'll more so than with any writer I've ever worked with. If, if, if something pops up that wild bill would add, I'll let it out. And yeah. if he says, don't do that, I go, okay, sorry, I won't. You know? <laughs> yeah. But I have to start knowing exactly what I'm supposed to say to the syllable with the punctuation mm. for two reasons. One, then I'm freed of any, like, I can't have like ambig ambiguities about shit. Like I need to go in having shit checked off the list. What are my lines? What are the given circumstances? Where does this fall in the script in the arc of the story of the character or a relationship? All that text analysis stuff. Yeah. People skip it. They do. Right. They skip it. You know what they do in general? And like, like I said, you know, I think this is the eighth series I've been a series regular on. People sort of learn the lines. I'm not criticizing that. I'm making it as an observation in contrast to what I need. I cannot do that because you're going to photograph a scared like deer in the headlights if I do that. Like I, I'm not fucking interesting enough to behave my way through a scene on my own terms and make it hold a story up. Right. right. I, it's the character that has to do that for me. So dropping in knowing the lines ice cold, doing the where, what, why, when, what happens stuff. Some of that becomes intuitive. It's not like you have to like bust out your, you know, ruler and your magnifying glass every time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but like, um, for me, back to that fear thing, you know, I was just one of those kids who I've just always had that. I've always been susceptible to that. Like I fucked up or I'm going to fuck up or uh, you got the wrong, you're counting on me. You got the wrong guy in the back of my head, you know? So I have to rule out ahead of time anything that might trigger that kind of fear, anything that might invoke that kind of tension. Tension is the enemy. Like tension, when I was describing those choices that will just present themselves, they can't get to you if you're physically tense. Yeah. Like literally, it's like a screen. Yeah. They won't get there. Right. And the fucking voice in your head and all this shit. How the fuck are you going to get any inspiration <laughs> from whatever, the universe, whatever? You, you just got to let it all go, dude. Think of like, 
sometimes I think like, you know, walking up to do a scene, say it's a really hard scene with some emotional obligation. I will picture myself holding like 20 balloons. And before we roll, I'll picture myself just letting go of all the balloons and looking up and just seeing all these different colored balloons. And every one of those balloons are versions of the scene that I think should happen Uh or versions of a world where anybody gives a fuck whether or not I nail the scene. You know what I mean? Uh And then clean slate action. I have no idea what's going to happen. Like that's to me, the ideal sort of last conscious thought before you start a scene is I have no idea what's going to (laughs) happen. Something always does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You know? Yeah. I don't know, dude. It's hard to talk about because there are so many facsimiles of this. There are so many versions. Like what I find we do as actors, and maybe you saw this like in acting class when you're training, like somebody makes a breakthrough. They have some moment of raw authenticity. Bet your life savings that the next time they do a scene or an exercise, you're going to see it again. (laughs) <laughs> You're going to see that moment of raw authenticity, but it's going to be stale. Yeah. Because we want to do that. We want to f- feel like we figured it out. Now I figured it out and I'm going to do that thing again. There is no such thing. It's gone. It's gone. Joseph Chaikin said, you can discover something once. You can't discover something again. Right, 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 right. You know? Yeah, it's a great point, man. And in theater, right, it's like you want to have that same moment again the next night and it's not going to fucking happen, dude. Mm -hmm. It's going to be your interpretation of what that moment or what you thought in your head had happened the night before. Well, you can do yourself a huge favor by firing yourself as any kind of authority in the process. Like, again, this is what I love about wrestling. It is for the audience. The random, anonymous eyeballs who witness what we do they're kind of the authority like meaning it's for them they get to decide if they liked it if they didn't like it if they bought it if they didn't buy it if they're moved Mm -hmm. or not we're just masons we're just coming in with like hammers chisels (laughs) (laughs) and making something and hope hope it stands up after we leave fuck that's deep dude when when did you start acting chris you were younger or, or was this like a um acting acting when i was a when i was a little kid my mom got me and tried to get me into commercials okay I didn't um know that. i but i just i only mentioned that because i've had my sag card since 1970 Dang, but dog. all right all right all right but I wouldn't call that acting at all. I got into acting probably around 17, 18 years old. And, um, you know, through the main highway that most, you know, the very common one of like, I like making, you know, I like entertaining people. It's like, I'm all about the paradox, right? The, the, the paradox is like, in this case is like, I really feel compelled to 
entertain people, to make people laugh. Um, the other side of that is like, I cannot do shit. Like I can't type, I can't do math. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I, you know, I, my propensity is I come to life when I'm just telling stories or, and at the same time, like why, you know, why is my imagination so engaged in things I can't see, hear, touch, or smell, you know, like, mm-hmm. and I think it's just kind of the, the sort of, you know, when the vocation of art is stalking you, it happens by ruling out the ability to do other things one by one. Yeah. And this really is the only thing I could do. And I went to college for a couple of years, never went to class, partied like a fucking, you know, um, literally like, like someone, like a robot, like, (laughs) Just like no consequences. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, to my chagrin, I had to drop out of college. Um, and But it was okay because there wasn't anything for me there uh-huh. in terms of pursuing how to create, you know. And that's when I got serious, I think, around 20, 21 years old. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, I got to learn what this is. Did you move to New York? Where I'm, were you born? Like where? L.A. You, I was born oh, in you LA. were in L.A. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, okay. Um, went to high school in Northern California, and then I was going to college in San Diego. Uh huh. Um, and didn't work out. And I moved from. I dropped out in on, in December. Following January, I moved to L.A. And was just instantly plunged into uh, pure terror. Because it was like, it had become clear this is what I wanted to do with my life. And equally clear was, like I said, there must be an instruction book somewhere for how (laughs) to do this. Uh But I'll never find it. I'll never read it. And I won't know how to follow those instructions. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. this is what I love about art. The, at least the, the, the component of creation that is making things the impulse to create if you just follow it one crumb at a time it'll it'll make a path for you you know and you start down that path and then the terms change and it's like i remember vividly when it was like okay i'm on a path i'm going to the library i'm reading plays I'm stealing them because I don't have my shit together enough to get a library card. And then I, and then I would read the plays and then bring them back to the library. It's like, dude, get a library card, man. Like get, just become something of a functional person. Um, (laughs) um, And then it's like, this is what I want to do. Okay. Now I'm taking some classes. Oh, that's a good teacher. Oh, I had an experience there. Something took over me. And then the thing about the path that I have found for me is that the steps, you know, that you, like say you're walking down the path, right? You look down. I used to be able to see it. It starts getting faint, like it's like it's disappearing. Mm-hmm. And now I'm supposed to put my foot down on the next 
thing and there's nothing there. But it appears right before my foot hits Mm -hmm. because it's actually animating and coming into existence as a result of my commitment. And if I hesitate where I'm going next, it's not going to appear. But if I jump forward before I land, boom, something catches me. And that's art. Shit, that wraps up everything you've been saying about acting. I mean, and about, you know, letting go of the fear and just trusting that the moment's going to be there when when you're there. It's so complicated. Now, I'm comfortable talking to you. I've done podcasts before. Um, I've taught for a while. I taught at NYU. It is bizarre to me how it gets more and more mysterious, more and more intuitive, more and more abstracted. And like, I don't even have time to think about my quote career because this shit is so fascinating to me. You know, how do I get to play Wild Bill Hancock? You know, before this, I played Bobby Dwyer on the deuce from three different decades of basically New York underworld. All these different characters. I mean, I'm a homebody, sober alcoholic, dad with kids who likes wrestling, surfing, being outside, fucking around with my friends. I don't understand how any of this works, (laughs) but it does. It does. (laughs) (laughs) It just does somehow. Right. (laughs) Dude, and, and the family thing. That that's some that's something I wanted to get into you uh, about um, you. How in the fuck do you balance it, man? Is there a balance, or do is there moments of balance and the moments of just complete fucking diving into this or diving into the family, or how does that work? Man? Mm. Great question. Because who's to say? You know, I find like the 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 how would you evaluate balance most accurately? Because sometimes your lens is closed so tight that things might look imbalanced. But if you can back up far enough away and get enough of a view, you're like, oh, there is sort of a balance here, you know? So I have faith that at some level, all that stuff is taking care of itself as long as I'm doing my part. So as a, I've always felt like, my kids owe, or I owe my kids 100% to the best of my ability, um, of my most loving, sincere commitment and attention. How I live my life, choices I make, what I can provide for them. And there's been a lot of sacrifice because um, I like being with them. And over the years, I've spent a lot of time away, you know. When I started shooting True Blood, we lived on the East Coast, and I was in L.A., spent the first couple of years commuting that whole time. When I shot The Wire, my daughter had just been born, and my son was four, I think. They were in New York. I was in Baltimore. Mm. Easily, easily dealt with, but like, there's just no routine pattern. 
to having a family and doing this work. Um, and for me, I just got to give all the credit to my wife, Laura, like she, you know, who is a super talent unto herself. Yep. Who has designed some pretty incredibly, incredible things (laughs) for heels. Seriously, man. Seriously. Yeah. Um, and she had an incredibly, you know, she was doing movies with Stephen Frears, Woody Allen, and then we started a family and she had to really adjust the work that she was doing Yeah, because I was working and they needed her attention and she made that, that sacrifice and compromise. Yeah. And she's just an incredible mother and, um, has made it. So I've had, I think the flexibility to go where I need to go. Yeah. She was telling me, so while we were shooting heels, my wife was pregnant and she was down in Florida and we're shooting in Atlanta and she was telling me about when she got pregnant her first time, you were shooting something and she was in Chicago, maybe. Oh, yeah. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And she says that there was one one time where she just told you like, hey, I need you to come mm-hmm. now. And you did. <laughs> but it but yeah, and, and but her telling me that story, it, it just kind of um it, it gave me hope that, you know, I mean this the people do this. Cause oh, yeah. a lot of times you, you also hear about the actors who don't have fucking kids or yeah. they, or you never hear about their family life, yeah. you know, and they just dive in a hundred percent on this work. And I can see the romanticism in that, mm-hmm. but there's something about family. And with you and Mike, I see it, Michael Malley, like you guys are family men. Yeah. And I look up to that dude. Yeah. I'm like, Oh shit. Okay. Here, here, this is the zone. Yeah. And, um, I recommend it. <laughs> I mean, right, right. it's so grounding and it's real it's real life i mean the realest shit if we're you know if you're lucky you get to spend a whole bunch of time you know creating a trade out of enlivening fictional worlds but there's nothing like the real world to like put your ass on the ground give you a purpose take some of the heat off for me i just it was such a relief when i had kids to just like take the edge off like thinking about me you know what i mean like i just couldn't do it anymore they got all that they needed stuff so there was no time to think about whether or not i was fat or skinny or like should i get a hair transplant or all this superficial vein (laughs) bullshit that was just no good you know put it to the side yeah it's a huge relief having those kids and um, I think that sometimes people um, forget that like the same creativity that you're putting into your work day, you can put that into your family life. You can, you know, there's, there's a million ways to do it. You know, we have lived all over the place. My kids went to, I'd say five or six schools before they graduated high school. Yeah. And sometimes they went to, two schools at the same time because I'd be shooting on one coast and they were living on another. Wow. So we had to figure out how to arrange a place for them in these, both of these schools. And with my kid, I never, you know, again, I have to thank my kids also because my kids were not, um, this with our family, it wasn't a situation of, Hey, here's how it's going to be. You're going to go here and then you're going to go there. Cause that's dad's job and that's how it's gotta be. 
my kids were always really flexible, really open. Um, if they had a problem with something, we heard it, plugged it in and figured out how to adjust. Right. You know, but it's like, I mean, that's the theme of my life. Like I didn't do this just to harp on this. There is no me thing. If there's a me, none of this makes sense. Like I didn't, I don't know where those gorgeous, unbelievably healthy children came from. I don't know where this family came from. I don't know where these characters come from. I just know that I didn't conjure them up. I didn't think I'm such a good guy that I deserve all these good things. Wow. They yeah. just came, you know. From God knows where. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. So it's receptivity. It's like, this is the thing about the work. It's like, what am I receiving? What am I listening to? What part of being do I create from? Mm. Damn, dude. I don't know why the fuck that, that made me emotional, man. I mean, I think. Yeah, dude. I don't know. Um, this shit is supposed I, to blow your mind. It, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. In my you, opinion. Yeah. Yeah. This work, these experiences, it's like we are, because this is a tradition that goes back. Do you ever see um, Cave of the Forgotten Dreams, I think it's called? No. The Herzog thing where, you know, they find, <laughs> he's so amazing, but mm -hmm. they discover this cave that had sort of like, turned into a mountainside over the years, bust through it. And I think it's 20,000 years old. Um, and it's been perfectly preserved, like airtight. Yeah. So they get into this world where there's evidence of life and there's old animal bones and footprints all over the place. And at one point there's, um, you know, somebody 20,000 years ago or whatever, has put their handprint up on the wall in like red, muddy, bloody paint. So it's there permanent, it's just permanent on the wall. It's just a handprint. Yeah. What we're doing now for me is in the lineage of that. It's just telling stories, finding a way to tune in to the everything of it all. And as you know, acting for me is like making people who this is going to be, this is going to be, <laughs> be the title <laughs> of the one page book I ever write, making people who real people think are real. Making people who real people think are real. Yeah. Yeah. They're just watching them on TV, but they're having an experience like that's a real person. A human experience, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Can't do that from, for me, I just can't do that from a part of myself that is about trying to front and like build up my own status. Damn, that's so great, dude. Yeah. Because sometimes in this, and when you start trying to make money in this thing, you lose that. You lose it. Mm -hmm. 
and people become jaded, dude. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've seen people. I have, but everything's a choice on that level. In other words, um, these patterns start to unfold. And it's up to us, I think, to pay attention to them. So you don't get too far down one road or another that you don't want to be on. You know, no judgment. People can go down any road they choose to go down. But the ones that limit my ability to tap into what's elegant about this work, what's poetic about this work. Meaningful. Yes, like the refined shit. Believe me, there's nothing I like better than just like playing some guy who just throws the table over and runs through a play class window. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but the refined, revelatory, nuanced observations are really sweet, you know? Yeah. Um, because they just, I just think they end up having a kind of general, there's like a, there's a language, there's a language of humanity. Universal language. Yeah. 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 And authenticity is the hallmark and people know it when they see it, you know? So it, when in, what gets in the way of that? Well, like, like you were just saying, like the jaded thing, like what do I have mm-hmm. to change about myself in order to get this or do that? Or, you know, dead ends for me. Yeah. Totally just doesn't, I don't know, just, Put it this way, and this would be the, this probably sum everything up. About a year ago, I don't know who the conversation, it was probably with my wife, Laura, but I was, it just became very clear to me that it's, regardless of what's going through my brain, I think I'd, I'd rather be remembered as a good man than a good actor, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I only made that observation as a counterpoint to a lot of people I know who really would rather be remembered as a good actor than a good man. And they sacrifice being a good man to be a good actor. Maybe. I don't know. But like you just start to get a sense of like, what is somebody invested in? You Mm -hmm. know? And I'm again saying that as an observation, not as a judgment. Yeah. But like it's, you know, surprise, surprise, you can be both. <laughs> you can be a good person. You can be a good artist. You know, it's not that hard. It's not that hard at all. Um, and it might even feed because what we're saying, the family and you having kids and all that fed your artistic life and made oh, it more yeah. full. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, my my family kept me from going insane. And my family gave me a reason to, to look at work like as a means to an end, not as a kind of part of my vain portfolio. In other words, <laughs> I remember around the uh, fourth or fifth season of True Blood think, and walking to the stage one day thinking, wow, oh, I wonder if people, what would it be like to like, only do projects you want to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. picking a script. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think I'm going to do this. And uh, I, because for so long I have thought of this as a trade 
as bold as fucking insane and like <sighs> sitting around the campfire trying to describe hocus pocus as I experience all this stuff. I really do see it as a trade. I see it as something. It's like you got your plumber, you got your pool guy, you got your actor. <laughs> and when they call me, I'm going to come do the skill that I have to make the thing they're working on work. Yeah. I got that through my family. That sense. Huh? Yeah. Because before that, I think before that I thought if anything that you, it's all about being cool. Like it's the coolness. Like, are you in the cool play? Are you in the cool theater company? Are you on the cool TV show? I mean, I'm, I'm very aware of that part of myself um, because it's the part that seeks security, you know? Turns out security is the opposite. My family is my security, mm-hmm. period, you know? Um, and all that other stuff is just, it's just perception. I mean, you know, sometimes you're the cool in the cool thing. And sometimes you're, <laughs> you're, not. you're not, you yeah. know, yeah. you can't hang your hat on it. I mean, some, maybe somebody can, I can't, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I just, no, I don't think anyone can. I mean, I know we're not trying to judge anyone, but I don't think you can, <laughs> you know, I really don't. I really don't. I don't man. think it's as gratifying. Right, right, right. There's something about, and I, I don't know who I was telling this to, but, when I hold my daughter and there's moments where the anxiety, like I have anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. The anxiety goes away, dude. Yeah. It's the only thing. <laughs> Why? Why do you think? I don't know. Well, you're, in, I, I, don't you think it's because you're exactly in the moment that you're meant to be in? I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. It feels, it feels true. It feels, I, I, it's undeniable, dude. I mean, it really is like an undeniable feeling. Well, it's exciting that you notice it. It's exciting that you pay attention to it. And that's all you got to do. It's all you got to do is just clock those moments. You know, when you're holding your daughter, nothing more is needed of you. And maybe you just at some level know that. Like, oh, what a relief. This is why I exist right now, to give comfort to this beautiful little baby girl. Right. And, And like, that's what turns off the motor, you know? You can, she's already teaching you something that you can bring into your experience of this work. Because it's true here too. Like, once you figure out how to play the part, that part's done. Nothing more is needed of you than what you already know, except the willingness maybe to discover the next thing and the faith that you will. And the rest, am I going to get fired? Oh, fuck. I'm not good. Enough. This isn't working out. Like, do you ever get that thing where it's like, 
something is expected of me and I just have not been able to, I can't figure out yes. what the fuck it is and yeah. I can't kick it in there. Right. I don't think that's ever true. I think that um, to the degree that you're feeling it or that one feels it, it's just your punitive, relentless, demanding self thinking that something's missing and you got to compensate for it. And it's bullshit. Mm -hmm. Especially, by the way, you are so full in your work. You're so relaxed. You are not, you are not, this is, this is what I'm saying. I'm going to tell you authentically what I perceive. Super yeah. relaxed, incredibly focused, totally concentrated, exactly where you need to be, frequently on the other person. And um, confident, just confident as hell. Like solid, so present. Mm -hmm. And that may or may not match what it feels like for Inside, you. Inside, right. <laughs> no. And if you guys can see me now, I'm fucking doing faces, but I can't help it because, it, you know. I mean, again, there's moments of that where I do feel that, you know. Um, but it's fucking hell maneuvering my way to, and I feel like you, I mean, again, now I'm perceiving you, right? But it seems to me that because of, you said it, man, you're getting to the 300 episodes of doing this TV work and the fucking doing of it, you know, the putting in the work. Mm -hmm. And the hours, um, it gets to a point where you can have that more frequently. You can have those moments more frequently. You can be more conscious right before the fucking, like you say, right before the yell action. You're like, let go, dude. The mm -hmm. balloons, right? Mm -hmm. These are all things that you're saying to me that I'm, I'm picking up, and I, I'm definitely gonna use them, bro. And dude, I, I before though, we're gonna wrap up, but before we go, and we went down some shit, dude. I That's was planning my to go fucking career fault. Fucking, no, 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 no. I, I don't like know how to it. do I love this it. shit. I love it. I love all. it, dude. I love it. But before, though, Mamet is one of my fucking heroes, dude. Mm. So I need to hear a little bit about working with Mamet. <laughs> and yeah, because I, I just love his his writing. I, I, I wrote a play, and a lot of my play was on shit I learned from him, from reading his fucking scenes. Mm-hmm. And seeing the poetry in him and the fucking rhythm, mm -hmm. right? It's like jazz or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he's incredibly funny, yeah. um, generous, um, frighteningly intelligent uh, man. Frightening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's uh -huh. been, you know, very warm towards me and let me play a part in his play, The Penitent. I was the first person to play it and it was a big, beautiful part. Um, and I think that his, um, his, his aesthetic kind of, um, demand is been very helpful for me because mm -hmm. it, it requires a lot of discipline and it requires an acknowledgement of where you fit in the process. And, I think it's um, accurate to say that uh, because, he, you know, not only is he the author that he is, which is an author of extremely accomplished caliber, 
but his advocacy that actors, you know, much widely, much misunderstood, but that actors basically, you know, there's no such thing as character. You show up, you get there on time, you say the words and you get the fuck out. Yeah. And how dare you make a choice, <laughs> you know, um, somewhat overblown, but there's a lot of, um, logic to it because, um, if you can tap into the part of him that is charming, funny, witty, humane, and you can bring that into the work, all you have to do is say his lines. You have to know all the text analysis stuff, why you're saying them, and what will happen if you don't get what you want and all of that. But it's exhilarating. This is what I mean by what I was talking about, you know, scripts before. It's like, you never know the freedom available to you that the writer has like given you if you haven't really spent that much time with the script and working with Mamet forces you because he's rightfully so expectant that you'll say exactly what he wrote, exactly the way he wrote it to the period to the syllable, you know, is he in there in rehearsals? Like making with the sure penitent, he was there quite a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very helpful. Yeah. Very helpful. Um, very demanding. Um, and were, call, you, were you off book right as you started? Rehearsals I was off you? book before we started that. Yeah. I memorized the whole play. Um, but I found that, and I'd never done that before, mm-hmm. but I found that when I got into rehearsal with it, whether or not I was off book, really didn't matter because um, all that memorization took place in my head, you know? And when I started to work with Rebecca Pigeon, who played um, opposite me, it was a different thing. She had a different rhythm. We're It's actually happening now. So whether or not I had memorized it or not was almost irrelevant. It was like, because I had to find everything and again. Um, but David Mamet... I think taught me a lot of discipline and a lot, a sense of scale and, and a confidence in not making it about me, um, that I'm really grateful for. And I think it's, he's worth reading certainly and yeah. worth studying because those habits will serve you no matter who wrote what you're working on, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. The way he talks about drama and, and, the necessary and the reason why we have drama and how we create these stories. I think there's a, there's a book called the something, the knife, the four uses. A, uses oh, what is it? Two knife. sides of the knife yeah, or two. Something. Some, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. three, three uses, three of uses the, of the knife. Something. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but it, he just talks about drama in such an interesting way and how we create drama in our own lives, you know, and even talking about something like going to the bust, you know, you, you create a little drama yeah. while you're telling the story and, yeah. So it's definitely helpful for actors, man. Dude, at some point, maybe a year or two, I mean, hopefully we keep doing the show for a little longer and and I can have you back in to talk more about 
like the business side and the trajectory of your career. Although we, we dipped into some of that, but I think I, I, when, as you're talking to me, I'm like, dude, I want to go down this rabbit yeah, hole yeah. with Chris. So we went down some rabbit holes. I know I I'm going to work on my side of the conversation. No, dude, so you're I know a fucking what beast. the fuck I'm talking no, about. No, bro. No, it's fucking better. That's why I said I'm going with, with <laughs> what he's bringing because it's, it's deeper. It's better. And I think as an, as an actor listening, you're going to be able to, um, take some nuggets from the shit you said. I mean, it's fucking great, dude. I know I am. Thanks, so, buddy. dude. Thanks for coming in, brother. And Thank you. I appreciate it, man. All right. Me, I know who I am. I'm a dude in the dude disguised as another dude. This episode was brought to you in part by TSMA Consulting, the entertainment industry's leading social media firm. If you sign up for any of their management packages at tsmaconsulting.com, make sure to tell them Robbie sent you for an exclusive 15% off the first month. Thank me later.